Yeah, I have some exciting uh, updates for you. Um, I was going to show you this morning at the end of each month, uh, ECI, who's our builder, sends us out a video and pictures. We've shown it to you several months of the latest thing that's gone on in our building. And probably because of where the building was at, progress, things were kind of slow recently. And so the video always seemed kind of appropriate. But when I, when I viewed it to show it to you this morning, I thought there's no way I could show you that because it was showing them laying the foundation um, and pouring the, the ground. And our building looks a lot more than just a slab now. If you haven't driven by Middle Street this week, you missed it. We had a we have a great, it's an Amish crew. It's a full Amish crew. And most, I mean, most people really respect not only just the, the demeanor and the character of Amish, but just their hardworking. And man, I'll just tell you what, these guys are, these guys are, are good. I've really enjoyed getting to know a couple of them. And uh, so they've been working on it. Let me show you where the, the, the latest is. Um, uh, in fact, though it looks like a pretty big gap there, um, the, the majority of the actual building framing, uh, I don't know, 85% or so is done. And um, this week, the, uh, the superintendent promised me, I'm hoping he's going to make it happen, that, that uh, we will have decking on the first floor. We'll be able to actually walk out on the, on the first floor. So things are moving along really well over the next few weeks. You're going to see a lot happening there. And so go ahead and go to the next slide. Just really great to see. This is a picture of in, in the sanctuary looking what will be the stage back to the back of the sanctuary. Then behind that is the foyer and then kids worship room. And so it's all coming together so nicely downstairs is foyer area and back in the back far side there is our youth room. We can go to the next one. We had a, we had a fantastic Love Gettysburg uh, yesterday. Uh, I think there was probably 40 or more of us, maybe 45 plus showed up to help uh, paint, scrape paint, pick up trash all, all around um, the, the Getty place here and kind of an area between us and our, and our church on Mill Street. Just a fantastic time helping out and blessing our community and uh, be on the lookout for more Love Gettysburgs. They're such a great time. So just a handful of us, actually, we got a little bit bored, so I took them on a tour. Uh, I give tours anytime if you'd like after four o'clock when the, they all leave. And uh, so we, we stood here and, and I thought, this is perfect. Go to the next slide. We'll kind of finish with this one. Um, uh, you know, this, this whole project got started uh, four plus years ago. Uh, as we were praying about what do we do, what do we do to fix some of the, the growth issues and even some of the space issues we're having in order to do the ministry that we felt like God called us to. And during prayer, it was that I saw this image of a crane. And when I saw this sitting out there this week, I'm like, oh my goodness. I mean, I don't want to say that that's the exact picture I saw, but it's pretty similar to what God put in my heart. And to see it sitting there just brought a lot of emotion and just, uh, just excitement to me to say, man, God, you, you said this years ago, and here we are now really beginning to experience the, the, the fruit of all this work that we put into. But, it, but in case you haven't even heard recently, I mean, this idea of a crane is, is the whole vision behind us building a building, which we've called Extend. And, and it has to do with a crane. I saw this picture of a crane while I was praying and asking God, you know, why should we build a building? Why should we spend time or money or anything building a, a larger building? And I, I felt like the Lord said that, you know, a crane's ability to reach and to do its job is based upon its foundation, its size, its, its, its outriggers. And then you can see some weights on the back of the crane here where the name of the crane's on. Just the one weight on the backside of that crane, the one at the bottom, is 10,400 pounds. That's unbelievable. I set it on there myself on Tuesday. And uh, you guys believe that. I mean, that's crazy. You guys are sleeping over there. Anyway, so it's like, like 10,000, 8,000. It's all this weight. It's probably 150,000 pounds that give that crane its weight behind so that it can actually extend the beams and extend the work out to the places where it's working on the building. And that was, the, that was really the philosophy or the, 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 the foundation behind of what God was saying in my heart is the reason why we'll, we'll spend our time and our energy and our money to build this, this larger building is that it's a larger foundation that gives us a greater reach. And you know what, we're seeing the, really a fulfillment of that this fall. Um, I'm, uh, don't feel so bad for Pastor Dan, he's not here today, he's in France, tough, tough, on a school trip with his wife, but um, we're so excited to see him and a group of already, I think, 40 or plus people from our church that are going in September to start a new church in New Oxford. No church is ever going to be able to do it all, and we're really just believing God and knowing that he's going to reach people in the New Oxford and all the surrounding areas around that. Um, in ways that maybe we couldn't have done, and we're just praying blessing and excitement for them. I'm not that smart 
thank God God knew that. I'd like to know all the great church growth and church planning books out there. But I'm pretty sure that the ideal moment to plant a church and send 40 people away is not when you're trying to finish building a building and pay for it while you're in transition to move back in. But we don't listen to that stuff um, because one of the worst things that you can do is start having some kind of self-centered kind of scarcity mentality. Are, are you with me? Because that makes God small. That's what we just talked about in worship. And uh, the biggest thing with, with, with just loving these folks, and some of you are going with them, and we love you, and it's the sad part of it, but it reminds us that God is bigger, and He takes care of our needs. Uh, he's the one who, who meets all the things that we will do, but also that we don't live our lives for ourselves. We're not trying to just build some amazing church so that we can all be happy, but we exist and we are a church so that we can reach from the idea of the crane to reach others. And so not only am I excited for what Dan's doing this fall, but it, fit, it, fits, um, it fits what God has asked our church to do. It's just crazy that he's doing it now, but that's the way God works. It keeps us trusting in him and not in ourselves. We, we need that, don't we? Um, so, but there's another piece to this component that I wanted to share with you about today um, because one of the things that people have asked us continually about is, is um, you know, so how, how does all this work and who, who you know, who's going to replace Dan? And let me, let me first of all share with you a verse out of Proverbs 16. It's a verse I love and also a verse that annoys me. It says this, we can make our plans. We preached about this a couple months ago, right? We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. That ever bother you? Like, hey God, I got it all figured out. And uh, if you'll just sign at the bottom, I think this looks like a pretty good idea. And, uh, and really, that's what he continues to do um, in and through our church. I mean, we brought Pastor Jack on uh, a year, year and a half, just over a year ago, initially thinking when him and I first had a conversation that he would plant a church somewhere. And so we started this process, and then New Oxford became available after we had already talked. And we thought, well, maybe this will be it. And we had kind of thought for six, eight months that eventually this would be Jack's place, and Lord put it in him and Alex's heart very strongly at the beginning of the year. That's not where he was leading them. And so we were like, well, wait a minute, God. We had a plan. Like, like what, are you, what are you doing to our plan? And, and, and as I talked with Dan, it, he, boy, it was just obvious. Wait a second. He's the one that God is calling to this place. And so, so everybody's been asking, so what's going to happen with Jack? I don't know. Should we keep him around? I don't know. I don't. You guys enjoying having Jack here and uh, ministering with us? So, well, listen, um, as soon as Dan told me in February, you know, I think this is what God has called me to do. I knew I had seven, eight months and um, to, to figure out what to do with his position and with youth. And so we immediately start praying. I've been praying with the group every week and several times a week about, God, what, what do you want us to do? Who do you want us to hire? I've been talking to a lot of people in Foursquare and some without, looking for a youth pastor. I had a converse, short conversation with someone one time thinking that might work. And nothing was really... No, no doors are really opening, and I come back to Proverbs 16 again. Man, God, like, this would be really great. It would be wonderful to get this out of the way before I take my, my sabbatical this summer. And, and, um, but, you know, we, I'm talking about this today. We like to force things where God says, no, you, you follow me, right? And so I, I kept coming back to this that God was telling me, Mark, think outside the box. Think outside the box. Don't just think one-to-one, -one, um, replacing Dan with someone just like him. What, what, what could be different? God just was just speaking that to me in my spirit back in, I don't know, probably April. And so I had a conversation one day with Jack. I said, Jack, I got this crazy idea. I don't know, like, what you think about this. And I said, I feel like God is, like, has this position, I think, that maybe you could fit. And it would be, I'll explain more in a minute, but it would be this, like, next generation position. A lot of churches have these now called next generation pastors. And what their job is to oversee all of kids, babies, to youth. And I said, I don't know, maybe it's just stupid, but well, I don't know, what do you think about that? And I shared it with him, and a week and two weeks goes by, and he keeps talking to me about it. I don't know, I'm getting excited about that. I'm like, really? And we were just kind of thinking like, I don't know, but, but Jack, like, weren't you supposed to pastor? And Jack, come on up here, and I, you, you need to hear this from, uh, well, not the horse's mouth, but from Jack's mouth uh, this morning. And it, this has been a, a really just surprising kind of uh, direction that God has taken us. We had our plans but God has really directed our steps. And I, I want you to hear this from him today because this is exciting and, and I'll, I'll share a little bit more about this, but I want you to hear more of how God revealed this to him. So this came to me a couple months ago when we were praying and God shut the door on us in New Oxford and we we're like, okay, now what? You know, like, what do you have for us? We really felt like, 
our next step, we felt, our, our plan was, hey, our next step is to be, have a church of our own. And, and so we just started seeking God. God, what do you have for us? Where, where do you want us to be? And he led me to this scripture in Exodus chapter 17. And, and Moses is, is about to face the armies of Amalek and the Amalekites. And in uh, Exodus 17, here's what it says. Moses commanded Joshua, call the Israelites to arms and fight the army of Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand at the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did what Moses had commanded. He led his men out to fight the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff with his hands, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites gained the upper hand. Moses' arms finally became too tired to hold up the staff any longer. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side, holding up his hands until sunset. As a result, Joshua and his troops were able to crush the armies of Amalek. And as I, that verse came to mind, I said, God, so what, what, are, you, what are you trying to say to me? And, and I clearly heard him just impress upon my heart, don't forsake the position of Aaron and her to be able to come alongside and lift up people, to support people. And he just impressed upon my heart and Alex's heart, I have called you to Gettysburg. I have called you here for this time to come along, not only the staff and, and Mark, but to come alongside of other up-and-coming leaders in this church to lift them up, to hold them up, to come underneath and support them. And I, and I just got so bubbly and excited inside about just the opportunity that that presented. And so I was like, Alex, I think this is what we should do. And she came alongside and said, I, I agree, this sounds great. Because we were like, man, I, I don't want to leave Gettysburg yet. We've been here just a year. We, we have fallen in love with everybody, fallen in love with the staff and so many of you, all of you. And, and so now I'm like, okay, now I get to say it's not just for a short time, but God has called us here. God has called us to Gettysburg for such a time as this. And, and we are thrilled about that opportunity. I wish Jack could get excited. I just, I wish he could get excited. Um, li listen, um, you know, God will sometimes use change and transition to bring paradigm shifts to our life, right? And and this, to me, was like a paradigm shift, and, uh, and, but it, it fits the mission of our church. Isaiah 61, just one part of that verse is something that God has called us to. It says, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. And God spoke that verse to us years ago, nine, ten years ago, and we've seen that as York Springs Church got started, an old building that was setting dilapidated and now full of life right now with people worshiping God and meeting Jesus and, and this church in New Oxford that was given to us by denom our denomination because it was either we take it or it close. And um, by God's grace, we've been able to see it grow four times the size of than when we first took it. And it's uh, you know still small, but it has momentum to go and do something now. And, and so it, we, we see the fulfillment of this, but ultimately this position that Jack's going to fulfill is also going to meet the, the vision or the mission of our church because in these verses, they, the, the they are not the staff. You need to know that. The they is not even Jack or myself, but the they in Isaiah 61 are you, by the way. That God says that he'll take people who, who come who are brokenhearted and who are addicted and abused and, and are at dead ends, and he will give them life, and he will bring transformation to life, and they will then go and do that for others. And so really, as we start thinking about this, at first we were like, well, lifting up Moses' hands, I mean, that's obviously mine. He's supposed to be giving me coffee, you know, in the office with cream and sugar. Um, but but we, we thought, you know, that's, that's him lifting up the staff. It's him lifting up the leaders of the church. Then we realized, you know what, that fits even just this position that God has put in our hearts that instead of just replacing, um, you know, a great youth pastor with, with another great youth pastor, really what, we, what we'll do, and I'll explain this in a second, but what we're going to do is we're going to pray that God will help us raise up leaders instead of always expecting everybody else to give us people that are, are done and in a package. We feel like God wants us to take the they's, help them be transformed by Jesus, and then send them out. And, um, and we believe that's going to happen. And so I just don't think you can ever be clear enough. So I, I even put this on a little slide for you. Number one, you should hear this and know it clearly. We will still hire a youth pastor in the near future, just not in the next two weeks uh, before I start a sabbatical. Um, and take heart. I don't know of a church staff anywhere that I know of. We have five 
five people on our church staff that have been youth pastors, all of us for more than 10 years. We have, I think I did the math wrong, I think we have close to 85 years of youth ministry experience on our staff. My wife was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor, he was a youth pastor, Dan was a youth pastor, and Nate was. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Um, and so there's really, there's really no question about, about um, not only an understanding but a passion uh, and a heart for wanting to reach the next generation. That's what we've all done with the majority of our lives. I've still been a youth pastor longer than I've been a senior pastor, much longer. Um, and, um, and so we, we, we know that God is going to be able to take care of this. So, but we will still hire a youth pastor um, sometime here in the near future. But in the meanwhile, Jack will shift his attention to continuing to build on the great foundation that Dan has left behind. And, and I believe just, and I know Dan would agree as any good youth pastor, we know that there's greater days ahead and greater, greater things are going to take place in the youth ministry. But also in the kids' ministry, um, we will also fill the part-time position that Jack was doing in the kids' department. Only half his job description was, was kids. The other half was getting ready to plant a church. Um, and so we will fill that position um, also shortly. But in the meantime, even just in this next season while, while, while I'm gone, there's things happening. Number three, we have extra help this summer from two interns. We're really excited. There she is, Maddie, uh, who led worship this morning, is going to be interning with worship and services on Sunday, but also with youth uh, on Wednesdays and helping out in that way, which would be a great benefit to Jack and, and others. But also, uh, we have another intern. I can't say who it was yet because we, we have to get final approval from his, his boss, but it's all lined up and we're going to have a, an intern in the kids department that'll help fill in the spot that Jack was doing. So we're really excited that that will help really fill in some of those gaps. And then number four, the ultimate plan. So hear this, a next generational pastor's job is to pastor, to nurture, to train, and to raise up leaders because I think we need more than just kids and a youth pastor. I pray that our church and our youth ministry grows so much that we need someone for the little kids and the middle school kids and a fifth and sixth grade group and a seventh and eighth grade group. Are you with me? And someone for the high school youths and young adults. Anybody agree with that? I think there's much more in store than just what we have right now. So um, I've been a part of ministries that have done that, and I think it's going to make a huge, huge difference. So listen, um, Alex is going to come up today because this is a big deal really for, for Jack to really feel called to this next season in his life to our church. And I wanted her to join us, but their little son, Luke, um, was thrown up all night, so she couldn't be here. And so we got a picture of them. They're a beautiful family, if you don't know Alex. And um, would, would a few of you, um, just as if, if, if you're willing or would willing be, be willing to come down, come run up front here real quick and just lay a hand on Jack. And maybe the rest of you can just reach your hands forward. And can we just pray over him and as his role is shifting and where God is taking him and moving him. And we just want to pray over him this morning. So thank you. And with the rest of you out there, just uh, pray with me. Oh, God, we, we thank you, God. It is true that our hearts plan our way, but God, you, you direct our steps. And Lord, we thank you for the calling that's on uh, Pastor Dan's life and this team that are going to New Oxford. And Lord, we, we, we also know at the same time that you're a big enough God to not just fill spots, but Lord, to empower and to do even greater things and new things. And so, Lord, we look to you and we thank you, God, that though we didn't have this in our plans for Jack, well, you have directed our steps and determined every one of them, Lord. And now we see a different future. We see you doing a new thing and a thing that's going to bring greater, um, even greater awareness, Lord, from our babies to our young adults. And Lord, I pray wisdom. I pray just an anointing and a strength, Lord, over Jack and Alex and their family as they will rise to this position, Lord, in our church. And Lord, we pray, God, for, for those young, young ones, Lord, even to the, the young adults and the singles, Lord, that are leaving college, Lord, God, that, that they're going to benefit and reap, the, the, uh, reap a harvest, Lord, from someone like Jack just giving their life to this process. We thank you for that. We pray for just your blessing on Foursquare here in Gettysburg, New Oxford, and York Springs. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. 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 Thank you, everybody, for letting us share that. Yeah. Give Jack one more hand, would you, that you're excited that he's here? All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark 4. I'm going to sneak a, a message in, and I knew that, I, knew that uh, I would have a little less time today, but this is all kind of, this is what church really all is. By the way, I forgot to say this in first service, but as we're praying for Jack, I've been praying for some of you. I've seen this all the time. This is what happens in church plants. New people get involved, and they rise to, to positions of leadership that they didn't do before because God calls them in this new season. 
And I know for some of you, God is going to be speaking to your hearts if he hasn't already for you to enter in to some of these positions that people are leaving, specifically in the youth ministry and the kids ministry. So respond to those nudges that the Holy Spirit gives you because you're part of this. We're all part of this. And so um, we started a, a series two weeks ago. Um, couldn't do it last week um, as our guest speaker had to change, which is okay. But we started a series two weeks ago called Soul Keeper because we're reading a book by John Ortberg called Soul Keeping. Um, the, the book is still available in the back. I'm so proud of myself, or, or a church anyway. I ordered so many of these books because they're on really good price on Amazon. I ordered so many that we shut Amazon down. They sent me an email that says, you can no longer order this book. The publisher has cut you off. I just like, that's awesome. I, I like, Bezos, like I'm in his grid. Like, it was like, what's going on in Gettysburg? Well, apparently we're buying a lot of books. So we have, I don't know, we started out the day, maybe 49 left. I hope there's some there. If they're not, you can still buy them on Amazon. Maybe you shouldn't say you go to our church. Um, but I, I, you can still get them at, for $10.25 or at various other places. Um, but we, we had got a good deal on those and wanted to pass it on to you. So make sure you pick this book up. I want you to just to grow in it and invest your life in it this summer as you're away and you're doing your things. You'll be able to stay at the heart of what God is doing in our church. So it's called Soul Keeping. I'm going to give you more quotes from it today. I'm telling you, it's an easy read. And it will really just inspire you and challenge you. So try it out. Even if you're not much of a reader, you'll get it. You'll laugh. It's just, it's a great book. So, um, so our series is called Soul Keeper and talking about stewarding our souls, the inner parts of our life. And last week we answered that basic question just to give you the recap as we go into this. What is the soul? Well, the soul is the life center of human beings. That's what he, he gives us as a definition in this book. And I think it's a good one that we can work from. It's the very life center of the human beings. It's kind of the immaterial part of us, the inside the inside of us. And what's so important about the soul, and we said last week, one of, kind of the main point was our souls need to be guarded be, or protected because they influence everything we do, every decision we make, how we feel, how we think, what we do with our lives is all determined on how we process that on the inside of our life, like the situation room we, we, I mentioned last week. So Proverbs 4.23 tells us that above all else, guard your heart. To the Hebrew, that heart was just all of the inner person. Guard your inner person for everything you do flows from it. Everything on the outside can look good and sound great, like the housing market we talked about last week in the U.S., but it's what's underneath it that will create collapse. And so my, my desire for you, my concern for you in your life is not what I can see on the outside. Not if it looks like your marriage is going well, or if it looks like your business is doing good, or if it looks like you have friends, or it looks like you have it all together. But how are you doing on the inside? Because it's on the inside that will determine our life and the longevity of our life. So we talked about guarding last week. This week, I want to look at how do we assess where our souls are at? What do we need to do to assess? We're going to finish with communion today, which is an assessment part of worship. And so I thought this is perfect for us to look at. I'm just going to ask you some basic, simple questions for you to test the status of your soul. But you know how we, we go around, and I'm guilty of this too. I did it this morning one time, and I caught myself, even though I'm preaching about it. But we so quickly in our world, because we're so busy, we tell people, hey, how are you? And we really don't want to know. I mean, we're just, good, hey, excellent, see ya, right? And, and if you even catch somebody sometime at the grocery store at work, like, how are you? And they're like, well, you know, you, you, I'm, am I the only one? Sometimes you're like, oh, they're really going to answer it. Okay, um, and, and, and that's an important thing to do. I feel like actually as a church, I think we do this pretty well. So many of you have stopped me and asked how Jerry and her mom and the, her dad and people in our families have gone through a lot of sickness recently. Hey, how are they doing? I know you're really asking that question. It's refreshing to really be asked that question. But in our lives, we get going and we get so busy sometimes that we just kind of do it at a default. I don't think we mean it, but we also don't mean, hey, how are you really? Because that is really a soul question. How are you on the inside? And that you can't answer with one-word answers. Good, fine, eh, tired, no. No, that's not, that's not really how are you. How do we assess how we are? Well, Mark chapter 4 is a parable that actually speaks more to this than we oftentimes realize. I think one of the greatest atrocities of Christian theology in America has been to take this parable and make it into something that is talking about money. That is ridiculous. And uh, that's one of the surest ways to not only lose the very power of this parable, but also probably to have its reverse happen in your life. Because to build our lives on trying to acquire more and more wealth is to do the opposite of becoming a healthier and healthier person on the inside. So let's look at this and look at the proper interpretation of this today. I, I do believe God wants to bless us, and sometimes he blesses us with finances and things like that. But certainly, let's look at the core of what this is really about in Mark chapter 4. You've probably heard this before. It says this, listen. A farmer went out to sow his seed. 
And as he was scattering the seed, some fell on the path, and the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, 60, and 100 times. So please don't let anybody tell you God wants to take your money and give you 30, 60, and 100 times more. Most of us would do bad if we had 100 times more money. You think you do good, but you probably would do bad. Um, it, God wants to do something much greater than that. He wants to develop people who have healthy souls, who have healthy insides that are receptive to God and His leading and His voice in our life. And from that, we will experience His voice and His leading more and more, 30, 60, and even 100 times more of his life and his words in our life growing and producing fruit. And that's way better than the bigger paycheck. So there's a couple of things that are consistent in this parable and one thing that's not. The two consistent things are the farmer, who you could probably say would be anybody who is sowing maybe the truth about God or the gospel, but today we'll keep it in its most primary interpretation that it's God. God's the farmer who's sowing his words into the world. And the second thing that's consistent is the word. The farmer keeps sowing, and the word keeps coming. And what does that tell you more than anything? Sometimes those become spiritual terms, the word. What is this ultimately saying? God, though he is in heaven, is a God who is a personal God who wants to have a personal relationship with you, and he's always speaking to you. That never changes. That will always be consistent. I've never heard God audibly. Probably nobody in this room has heard God audibly. But we do sense his nudges. We do sense his, his promptings, his his finger pokes in our hearts and in our souls. We do sense his leading in those gentle and subtle ways. And sometimes we want to pretend like we don't. And sometimes we, we over-exaggerate it. But, but he, is, he is a relational God who's speaking to us. That's consistent. The variable in the story is the soil. And the soil is you. It's your heart. It's your soul. And the variable is your receptivity. The way that you respond and you receive when God is speaking to you, nudging you, leading you, and guiding you. And so these are the questions I want us to ask our soul today because the status of the soil, the status of our soul is what makes everything an, either an abundant harvest, abundant life, or, or lacking and in, in being in famine. So three questions, and then we're going to bring these questions as we come to communion. The first is this, how easy is it for God to get your attention on a daily basis? How easy is it for God to get your attention? I mean, he's just almost like anybody else. I've said this, you've probably said it, you know, I just don't feel close to God, I don't feel like He's spoken to me in forever. And a great simple question could be, when was the last time you stopped for 10 minutes and actually listened? Right, I, my wife and I, or my husband and I don't feel that close anymore, I don't feel that close to my kids, or my friend and I, we've, we just kind of are parted ways and we don't feel so close anymore. I mean, a simple question of, of closeness is simply this, how much time, how much attention are you giving to the person that you're wanting to be close to? We live in a world that is just full of clutter. Are you with me? I mean, it's just there's so much stuff. The blessing of technology is also the curse of technology because it multiplies your options. There's a, a recent study that came out that said millennials are the worst generation, I don't know if it's ever, but in years that, of making decisions. Before I'm, you think I'm stepping on your toes, millennials, don't worry. I, I think we're all in the same boat, really. But it said millennials because they have so many options. They don't know how to make choices. I was listening to this pastor recently who has a bunch of millennials on his staff, and he said he sat down with a few of them that were interning and said, hey, I just heard this study that says you guys can't make, you guys and gals can't make decisions. You give a hard time making decisions. And he said, do you think that's really true? True story. The answer? They said, well, yes and no. <laughs> yes and no. Okay, yeah. So I guess it is true. There's just so many options. Zachary was playing a little color pad game the other day, and and it, you pick a picture and you color it. And like, it looks like fun. And it would be good for me is because there was little 12 little circles of color down below and you can pick them. But then he slid the page over and there was like 16 million colors he could choose from. I'm like, I'm out. I mean, that, that, is, that is so overwhelming. I wouldn't even want to begin the project. It's too many. Jerry wants me to go pick paint colors with her for the house. I'm like, no, don't put me in that store. That makes me want to vomit. Pick three and I'll choose one. Like, I can do that. One, two, three, right? We, we live in a world where there's so many options. There's just so many things going on that our lives get cluttered with all the possibilities, with all the things that we can do. And so we find, you know, ourselves feeling anxious when we have nothing to do, like we need to be doing something. And we, we've talked about that here recently. Here's the point of this. In the book, 
in soul keeping, he talks about this. This is a, a cluttered soul, or I'm going to kind of rename for my sermon today, a distracted soul. That there's just so much going on that we have a hard time just stopping and slowing down to listen to God. And so Jesus, he, he kind of explains this parable later in Mark 4. Let me tell you how he describes this kind of soul, this kind of soil. Verse 18 and 19 in Mark 4. Some people are like seed sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things come in and choke the word and make it unfruitful. I think it's so interesting how something so practical starts to choke out the very life of, of, of the spirit and the soul inside of our lives. Just said right there. That wealth and, and just how simple, the desires of other things. There's just so many other things that we get so distracted by what else we could do or what else we could find or other things that we could do that we, we, we have a hard time just centering in on who God is. And so therefore, it's hard for God to get our attention because it's always on something. I mean, I'm the first in line for that one. But it's our soul that's at risk. It's not just getting more things or doing something else. It's our soul that's dying inside because God wants our attention. Listen to a quote from the book. Somebody said a long time ago, if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. Interesting. Because either way, your soul will shrivel. Our world will divert your soul's attention because it is a cluttered world. And clutter is maybe the most dangerous result because it's subtle. We mistake clutter for life. If we cease to be busy, do we matter? A person preoccupied with external success, reputation, ceaseless activity, lifestyle, office gossip may be dead internally and not even recognize it. It was amazing. Yesterday, Jerry was out with our son at birthday parties, and I had the other two napping. And I was working, I was working, doing all these kind of things. And I knew I was preaching on this already, but I just felt like the Lord said, just go sit down. Poured a glass of water, and I sat down in a chair for like 25 minutes, and I just looked out the window. And it took 15 minutes to just not feel guilty to sit in a chair and look out the window. But it's amazing what you can start hearing from the Lord when you give Him your attention. It's amazing. But I, I probably just like you, I'm always thinking, well, I, I, and I sit there and I think, oh, I need to grab that and I go do that and can sit back down. Oh, I should go do that. Nah. It takes a lot to just finally stop and say, this is doing something. This is giving my attention to the Lord. And for my soul, there may be nothing greater than that. King Saul is this example in the Bible of somebody who literally went from a kind of a healthy, okay person on the inside to literally being destroyed by his soul to a place of almost insanity. Here's a picture of him that I just found. I mean, obviously, this artist's rendition of him, but it shows him with a spear getting ready to, and that would be, that would be David, who would eventually become king. And he tries to kill David, this, this kid. He's 16 years old, playing a harp that makes him feel better. But he's so tormented inside. His soul has been so deteriorated because he was not taking care of the inside of him. When he became king, he was super insecure. And his insecurity played itself out in an obsession. And so he became insecure of David, thinking he was going to take his throne from him. And this is what it says in 1 Samuel 18, after David killed Goliath, and then he, he also won several other battles. It said, the people of Israel danced and they sang, Saul is slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands, which most Hebrew writers would say they weren't even saying anything negative about Saul. They were actually just excited that the general he appointed killed so many people. There's a celebration and yet he couldn't get over it because his insides had rotted. And he says this, Saul was angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept an eye on David. You see, Saul's life from this point forward deteriorated, deteriorated to insanity because his eyes were on David. He had a jealous eye. He had an envious eye, and it destroyed him from the inside out. What do you have your eye on? I mean, our eyes can get so caught up in materialism and our own ambition and, and uh, relationships and status and all kinds of things. And when our eyes get fixated on something, they become jealous or envious or full of lust or power, we become to get destroyed on the inside because God doesn't get our attention. God was continually trying to get Saul's attention. He couldn't hear God because he was so focused on his jealousy of David. You know, it, it's not even just the sin, sometimes it's just the good things in our life that gets caught up. I don't know how many of you would even remember Jim Baker anymore, but he led a ministry called PTL. I don't know when that was, in the 80s? I was pretty young. 
But um, here's a picture from People Magazine, him and Tammy Faye. I'll be honest, they scared me even when things were going well. They, she just was scary looking. And uh, I remember being a kid, like, who are they? But they led this ministry, multi-million dollar ministry in the United States. It was growing so rapidly. And he tells a story, I read his book. It's a fascinating book called I Was, I, um, I was Wrong. And he, and, he, and he details how his life imploded from the inside out. Lost this multi-million dollar Christian television ministry, Heritage USA, I don't know, some theme park. Ended up having an affair with some woman. I mean, just destroyed his life, ends up in prison. And this is, he tells the story, it was so interesting. At the height of their success, they were growing so fast, he wasn't eating, he wasn't sleeping, he wasn't spending time with God. Everything was just moving and it was growing. And he said he went and took a walk one afternoon and he said he felt like God told him, Jim, you need to come and do this more often. You need to come and do this more often. Your, your, your life is out of control. I'll never forget, man, I read this probably 20 years ago. I'll never forget, Jim said, he said, even though God told me that, he said, I never took a walk again until I ended up in prison. It's amazing. God trying to help him. You're dying on the inside. You got your eye on fame and on money and you're gonna lose it all because your eye is fixated on the wrong thing and God was trying to get his attention but he was too busy, too cluttered to hear from the Lord. Second question, how quickly do I move from waiting to forcing things to happen? I don't have a problem with this one so let's move on to number three. Uh, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Anybody else feel like you're a serial forcer? because you hate waiting, anybody? It was several months ago, I got really sick. I don't know if I've been sick like this before in my life. I knew it wasn't anything super serious, but I just knew I was really sick. I called Pastor Nate up and said, you're gonna have to preach for me tomorrow. Got up on a Saturday morning, I couldn't talk. I was in pain everywhere. Jerry was gone, I called someone, you gotta come get the kids. I couldn't breathe. I'm just like, something's wrong. So I went into urgent care, which I don't know, maybe they should rename it and just call it care. But anyway, I went to urgent care and, um, or, or we will get to you care. And, um, and so I arrived there on Saturday morning, like at nine o'clock. And I mean, don't get me wrong, they're all very sweet and helpful. But I, you, you go on the screen, you hit the number. And I remember hitting the number. And um, I don't know, I said this wrong in first service, but I think it was more like, it was like number 12 or 14. And, um, and I was like, oh, that's not so bad. And I went back and sat down and I'm just in pain. And she's like, number four? And I'm like, well, that's not too bad. And it was like 30 minutes goes by, number five. And I thought, oh my Lord. I mean, I, was in, I couldn't sit up. Um, I, I didn't take any medicine because I wanted to know the full things that were wrong with me. And, um, and so my head, so I called Jerry. I'm like, you gotta get down here. I can't sit in this room. And so I just went out and laid in the hallway while I was shivering, like two hours, two and a half hours. I mean, I'm still, I keep coming in sight. Now here's the thing, here's what happens. I know you're a lot better than me. You're all more, more mature Christians than me. But I would come in after every 45 minutes and I'd look over at that woman and I would think she needs help like with her job because I've been here a long time at urgent care and she obviously either has forgotten about me or maybe doesn't know how to expedite a process along. Anybody ever feel that way? Right, when someone makes you wait, what do you immediately do? Catch this, you, you immediately begin to question the character and the capability of the person who's making you wait. And we do that with God, don't we? Wait, I, I, I want to get married now. I want this new job now. I, I want this, this healing in my life now. And the worst thing of it is, is not just getting what we want or even getting something we shouldn't want. The worst thing that begins to happen to our souls is we begin to question the character and the power, the competency of God for making us wait. That is a dangerous place to be. So you gotta ask your soul, how am I doing right now? Am I forcing things to happen? I mean, I, I ended up going up to her one time and just say, how's it going? <laughs> right, because I'm just thinking, I can make this better. No, I can't make this better, I can hardly stand up. Just go lay down, and when we get to your number, we'll call you. But it requires you to just decide, you know what, I, I can't control it, I can't stop it, I can't force anything. God does this to us. And one of the things he wants to do is help us realize how great and awesome and his character really is. But oftentimes we just start thinking that we know better than him. And we begin to question his character and his competency in our life. And really it's the result of a shallow soul. This is what Jesus said in Mark 16 and 17 about this soil, about this soul. Some people are like seeds sown on rocky places. They hear the word of the Lord and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. I don't have time for this. I'm just going to go do it myself. I'm going to go take matters into my own hands. 
And boy, I tell you how deep in my heart I have felt this for days as I planned this message that for some of you, you have gotten to a place where you are questioning God's character, his love for you, his power for you. And I want to challenge you today to stop and let your soul rest that if God is making you wait for anything, he only has your best in mind. You may not understand it, you may not figure it out, but you taking matter in your own hands and forcing the issue will not turn out better than God's plan for your life. Nobody loves you more and has better plan for you than Jesus. And you go and take it on your own and you will not be happy with the results. He says in the book, page 102, when I am with my children in line at the grocery store or in the car on a crowded freeway, my soul does not have to be tapping its toes and drumming its fingernails. I, this one doesn't apply to me, but I thought it might for you. Um, if I'm always in a hurry to be somewhere else, it's probably an indicator that my soul has yet to find its home. Hmm. Saul, once again, he's in a place where his army is experiencing victory. It's not just in the bad times where we become impatient, it's also in the good times. And his army is experiencing great victory, and he wants to, to know what to do. So he tells his priest, Ahijah says this in 1 Samuel 14. He says, bring the ark of God. To bring the ark of God means we're going to inquire. We're going to ask God what we should do. So while Saul was talking to the priest, God, what should we do? The tumult in the Philistine camp increased so much so that Paul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went into battle. Hmm. You see, I've done this probably more in good times than I have in bad times where I'm like, no, 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 I don't need God anymore. I know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, you know, you know the temptation when, when, when Dan or anybody else, when we replace other staff members, when someone goes to just say, well, I got to figure this out. I got to fill in the blanks. I, I mean, I feel that temptation. You feel that temptation. I, I need to get the blanks filled. And that's sometimes the worst thing you can do is force something because the greatest thing you do is trust as God leads you through the process. To trust him. And so Saul's like, oh, I got to figure it out. Withdraw your hand. I don't need God anymore. And he rushes off into battle. The worst thing is, listen to me, he won that battle. That's terrible. So now he actually thinks he can do it without waiting on God. Danger, danger, danger. Pray against success in our life when we do it without waiting on God. Number three, the last question. How responsive, obedient in other words, or resistant, we may say the word stubborn, are you right now to God's voice, to his nudges? How's your heart? This is the hardened soil. How's your heart? Is it hard or is it soft? Are you able to receive God's direction or not? Jesus says in verse 15 about this soil, some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes the word that was sown in them. And one more instance of Saul, interestingly enough, God told him to go and wipe out this group of people called the Immaculites, the same people that God was talking to in Exodus that Jack read earlier. And this was no longer a punishment. This was not just one nation taking over another. God says, I need you to go and enact judgment on this nation. They were killing babies. They were killing women. And it was done. God says their, their chance of repentance is over. And I need you to wipe them out. And he was very clear. And Saul, Saul comes back. And he kept the king alive and the best crops and best animals. Mainly because that made him look good and power, powerful over the king and other people. And he comes back and he tells Samuel... He says, hey, I obeyed everything God told me to do. And Samuel's like, really? Why do I hear sheep behind you? And I think this is really interesting how a place of self-deception happened in Saul's life. He's like, I did it all. Hey, guess what, Saul? Partial obedience is still disobedience. Right? And he says, oh, the sheep. Oh, right. I kept them all because I wanted to sacrifice them to God. And Samuel stops him and says, enough. You have not obeyed, and you've even deceived yourself into thinking that you have obeyed. And Saul now realizes, oh, okay, this isn't going so well. And then he changed the story one more time. In fact, it was the soldiers that took all the animals, not me, those terrible people. The woman you gave me made me eat it. The blame shift of all human nature. It's not my fault that I didn't obey. Yes, it is. <laughs> and finally, Saul comes to grips after four times, and he says, okay, I've sinned. It was I who transgressed the commandment of the Lord in your words. Listen, he really knew what was going on. He just didn't want to admit it before God. He said, I feared the people and I obeyed their voice. Oh my, how many times in my life and people I've counseled that have got themselves in a world of hurt because they obeyed their voices instead of God's voice. You know, they, their voices are dangerous in our life, especially when they tell you to go and they nudge you and push you in a direction 
that God has not told you to go. That's why Samuel says to Saul, listen, to obey, which is actually the Hebrew word for listen. To listen and respond is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than the fat of rams. He says in the book, the closed soul is death, but the receptive soul is life. You can play, Maddie. So I want us to finish um, coming to communion today by thinking about these things. Listen, a healthy soul is one that receives, listens, and is receptive, responds to God. And today as we, we come down to the front, I want us to think about these areas in our life and ask ourselves these questions. Listen, James 1.21 says, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts. He's nudging you. He's speaking to you. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to do communion just very, very slightly, but a little slightly differently than we normally do. Instead of you just coming straight down, we're going to sing you a new song that is really just a song about communion, about the altar. And I want you to listen as Maddie sings this first verse before we move, and then I'll call you down. So let's just, just listen and allow this to penetrate your heart, would you? Open your heart to Jesus right now before we, we conclude with communion together. for altar means to slaughter. There's two reasons why people came to an altar in the Old Testament. The first was to slaughter an animal for sacrifice. Every, understand, every culture did this. And God used what the people knew but to draw awareness to him instead of how the other cultures did it. He was drawing them to an understanding of their sin and the unworthiness of themselves because they were not allowed to do human sacrifice and the unworthiness of the animals to ultimately pay for the sin. But as just a reminder that you need to come to God, you need to connect with Him. It was the intersection of God and people to come and ask for forgiveness of sins. But it also was a place that if you slaughtered somebody, if you murdered someone unintentionally, you would run to the altar and it was a safe haven. It was a place of refuge. So you think about that now as we're on this side of Jesus. The slaughtering's been done. Jesus died and was sacrificed for us. So the altar now is just a place that we run to because of our sin. We run to an acknowledgement of our sin to say, God, thank you that you were slaughtered for me, and now I run here to escape the judgment and the punishment that I deserve that you took for me. So this is a place of freedom. It's a place of releasing if, if you bring those things to the Lord. So I want you to come thinking about those three questions. How, how, how easy is God to get your attention? What do you have your eyes on that you need to repent for today? What, 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 about, what about, are you forcing things or are you waiting on God? Are, are you asking, it said there that Samuel told the priest to withdraw your hand. Withdraw your hand, I'm moving on. Where, where do you need to put your hand back and stay and trust God? And then lastly, where are you obeying your voice or someone else's voice over the voice of God? Walk in obedience, the freedom that Jesus has for you today. So I want you to come up as she sings this again. Hey, take your time. We're all going to come back together and I'll dismiss you as we, we pray together, but you can stand up front. There's communion around the sides, the front up here. Just take a few moments and take stock of your soul today. The rest of your week will be thankful that you took an extra five minutes this morning to check the status of your soul. Let's do that as she sings and take your time. We'll all come back together at the end. Have you come to the end?
Can we sing this together? Oh, what a Savior. What a Savior. Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Sing, oh, come to the altar. Come to the altar where Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Well, God, we thank you for this time today, this reminder to take stock of our souls. God, you invite us it's so amazingly, Lord, to to the bread, to the blood of your Son, the body and the blood of your Son. He was slaughtered for us, Lord, so that we could take refuge and take haven, Lord, with Jesus. So help us today, God. Jesus did the work, and now it's our job to continue to guard and to preserve and to help our souls be healthy, to be receptive to you. I pray for receptivity in our lives and our hearts this week that we would listen and be obedient, that we would stop and pause and give you room in our lives. Lord God, that we would trust you even when we hate waiting. We would trust you because your character is always greater than our intelligence and our understanding in the situation. Help us this week to be good soil, that your words can grow and that they would sprout and grow your presence and your word in our life 30, 60, and 100 times more Lord, than the week before. We praise you. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are, for your body that was broken and, and given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.